but you know, it's the way it goes. So, hey, glad you guys are here. Just a reminder too, yeah, I, I try to do my best uh, with, uh, with the sending out the reach message. Um, I try to only do about like one, one or two messages a week at tops and uh, just a fun, easy way. Don't worry, it's not a group text where you're going to get sucked into endless like, haha, like, I liked your like, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, God bless group texts. Um, but, uh, but no, that we'll be sending out the devotional for that um, a little bit later on, either today or this week. So i um, glad you guys are here. So, Levi, are, are you the youngest one in the orchestra? Uh, probably. probably. Maybe by a few years or decades. I don't know. So, no, that's, I'm excited. I, every year, that is such a fun, fun quality thing. And, uh, yeah, excited for that. So, um, one other thing, too. Uh, we've been doing the whole Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes, And this Monday, Caleb actually took, was it 71 boxes? 71 shoeboxes, so that's, that's awesome. Pretty, pretty, pretty fun. So, well, hey, do you guys want to hear something really cool this morning? Okay, some of you are kind of like, is he okay? <laughs> are we seeing a stroke in process right here? <laughs> like, this is this not very funny, I know. But, but, but some of you are kind of like, like my buddy Jake, spit it out, come on. Thanks for not calling a moron like you'd normally do. So, you know, so. But some of you are kind of like, this is going to be really good. Because I was waiting so long. Well, you know what you guys just did? I just tricked you. You wrestled with hope. You see, when we wait, we find ourselves hoping. Hope is something that we're constantly wrestling with. We might not really think about it, but think about it. How many of you are currently anticipating anxiously if the Amazon packages that you just ordered on Friday are going to get here in time, right? Some of us are, are kind of like, is the paycheck going to hit the bank in time before everything starts bouncing? And I start getting alerts from the bank saying, you are overdrawn by this much. Some of us are anxiously waiting to see if that guy or that girl are going to text us back. Right? Some of us are anxiously waiting some job applications for some opportunities that we're looking for. Some of us might be anxiously awaiting test results from the doctor, from tests that we've been done. And on and on and on, right? We can insert our own waiting, our own anticipation. But the fact is, is that we oftentimes find ourselves unknowingly in tense anticipation waiting for all sorts of different things. Well, Advent means waiting, it means preparation. We are waiting and anticipating and preparing for Christmas. We are waiting and preparing ourselves for the miracle of Christmas. Between now and Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at kind of four and then our fifth on the Christmas Eve service, traditional aspects of the Christmas story. It's kind of the most, it's kind of the most traditional thing that we do, and I kind of love it because we have like the, the reading and 
Thanks for knocking it out of the park. Appreciate that. That was awesome. Um, Dolly's so funny. I'm not a public speaker. I said, well, you can be a public reader, and she did great, right? So, so no, I, I just appreciate it. It's just fun because there's something about that Christmas comes every year on December 25th. Right? Like, it's a built-in reminder of our year of the true miracle of the Christmas story, of Jesus coming into his own creation. And so the theme this year that we're going to have for Advent, um, Rich talked about this, but we have seen his glory, and it comes from John chapter 1, verse 14. John's kind of Christmas narrative is pretty unique. You wouldn't even realize it was there unless you knew what you were looking for. But it says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that word glory comes from the Greek word doxo, which means bright, magnificent, majestic, kingly splendor. That's a pretty flattering description. I don't think at any point in my life has, life has anybody ever described me that way, right? Um, But that's the way that Jesus was described. This morning, we're going to see how Jesus' glory, his doxo, gives us hope. Now, the Bible uses several different words for hope. Uh, Hebrew has actually a lot of different translations, or a lot of different uh, words, but they they all pretty much mean the same thing. And the kind of the two main ones are yakal and kavah. The Greek in the New Testament uses the word elpis. E-L-P-I-S. And and all these words basically mean this, to eagerly wait and look for. Tense anticipation, expectation. There's also another unique meaning to the word hope. It means to bind, to collect, to hold together. And the image is this, of a cord that is tied around a bundle and drawn tight to hold something together. It's kind of like this rubber band, right? Like, just like this, there's not much use to it, right? It's just kind of floppy, it just kind of sits there, it doesn't really do anything. But when we put it under tension, now all of a sudden there is value, there's purpose, there's meaning. It holds things together. You can take a bundle of straws, a bundle of batteries, you can take paper, whatever you want, and and it will literally hold things together in that hope. Now, you obviously don't want to stretch it too tight and destroy it because that's counterproductive. It's kind of funny. I found this gigantic rubber band. I have no idea what it was there for, but it was on my desk for who knows how long. Long enough that I don't remember what it was there for. I was like, oh, that's a perfect illustration. And this morning beforehand, I was like, I wonder how far I can step. Edit, edit, edit. So, so we're stuck with the little one right here, right? But the point is this, is that hope can be the cord of anticipation that holds our lives together. So when this, with this in mind, I want to look at one of the most uh, iconic sections, but it's kind of a little forgotten part in the Advent story, and it comes in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. You can read along in your Bible, on your phone, on the screen, or whatever you like there, but we're going to be reading uh, it through the whole story, and we're going to dig, it, dig into it as we go here. So Luke chapter 2, verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, 
and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So, many, so when Mary and Joseph came to pre- present the, the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Here's this old man, Simeon, who lived out his life eagerly hoping to see the promised Messiah before he died. Simeon's story shows us three things that hope does within the hopeful. First of all, hope refines us. We see that in the first part of of verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Now, what's really interesting is that Simeon lived, he put his complete hope, his complete faith in this promised Messiah. And what's cool is that he aligned his life to that hope. We talk a lot about how we want to move, discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in the area of our lives, in every area of our lives. And, and we can say, oh, I believe this, I believe that, I believe this, I believe that. I always laugh, I can believe, I can fly. No, we don't. Like, has anybody, well, maybe some delusional people have jumped off thinking that they could fly. That doesn't really work out very well, you know? But, um, but the thing is, though, is that he truly believed that he was going to see the Messiah before he died, because God had revealed that to him. So because of that hope, he aligned his life, and he was considered righteous and devout. He lived his life according to what he really believed. Our life will always reveal what we really believe. We can struggle, but and it doesn't mean that if we really believe that our life is going to be perfect and we're going to be amazing or anything like that, but consistently we're going to show up if we really believe something. Waiting is hard. Waiting is hard. Like earlier, some of you maybe almost were kind of like, wait, what's going on with Jason? Should I leave right now? You maybe were like, maybe I'm going to go check out, I'm going to go volunteer in Sprouts or something like that, right? Waiting is hard. But waiting reveals our fears. And like we've talked about the last couple weeks, fear reveals our faith. And so waiting presents this opportunity for us to see where we have little faith. And it reveals what we put our hope in. It's a temptation to put our hope in, in other things, right? But true hope will refine, it will define the way that we live. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3, says this, We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens strengthens our confident hope of salvation. 
And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That is what we put our hope in. Yes, we have problems, we have trials, but those trials, those struggles, those, those times where we feel hopeless and helpless actually become the doorway to true hope. Now, I don't, we don't really know that much about Simeon. He's not really talked about that much. But he saw God's faithfulness enough to let it change him. He put his hope in God because he knew God and it changed everything about him to where he was righteous. I like how the Bible Project says, it says it's God's past faithfulness that motivates us, motivates hope for the future. We look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. So if we're struggling with hope, a lot of times we're just looking forward and we're not seeing what we want to see and, and I want answers and I want this and I want resolution and I want freedom, I want this, I want that, I want that and it's not there. Sometimes we actually have to look back. And a lot of times it's tempting to kind of look back and say, well, but I prayed this and, and, and they still, it still didn't happen or, or they, it got sick or they died or, or this didn't, you know, it didn't work out. And, and a lot of times we're, we're looking, but I, I love the words of wisdom that my dad told me years and years ago and it stuck with me ever since. We see what we oftentimes want to see. Sometimes we are in the midst of God's most creative handiwork and we miss it because it's not what we want. We have to surrender our will to God's. Even Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. We have to sometimes look back at God's faithful character to see just how worthy he is of our hope. Sometimes, like I said, the struggles become the doorway to true hope. We don't like the tension. We don't like the conflict. We don't like the, the, the uncertainty. We don't like those things. And, and we kind of throw these things out. How can there be a God if my life is so messed up? How can there be a God if you turn on the news and, and we're literally cannibalizing each other in our world? We're so mean to each other. We cancel each other. We lash out at each other. And, and all these different things, right? And we can throw that against God instead of saying, no, it reveals our need for God. Because God transformed those things. The challenge actually becomes the opportunity when we get to the end of our hope and we get finally to Jesus. It's, it's interesting. I was traveling this week and, and I've been kind of on a World War II kick. I don't know why. I'm a history nerd and I just, I've been watching a lot of movies on it and everything like that. But it made me think of, how, any of you guys know Dietrich Bonhoeffer? A fantastic, fantastic follower of Jesus, and, and he was a lot about like being people of peace, like living in communities centralized around the gospel of Jesus. And, and he was a German, and he lived in Nazi Germany, and he preached the gospel and love and and like like the the gospel of Jesus, and 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 the Nazis did not like that. Hitler personally did not like that. 
And, and so here's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he's talking about peace, and he's talking about being a community of, of followers of Jesus, and he actually kind of sets up this, this campus where people would come as a safe haven and would try to live out like purposeful lives in the kingdom of Jesus. Well, what ended up happening was that he got arrested. And as he was in prison, awaiting his trial and execution, he wrote, some of the most amazing works on Christianity probably since the Apostle Paul. I mean, foundational to the faith, just revealing what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It did not come easily. He was not riding on his personal jet, sitting in his megachurch on his, on his eight-figure salary, and, and, you know, life is good, so you can put your faith in Jesus and you'll be rich just like me. No, he was awaiting his execution, talking about the power of Jesus. Sounds like somebody else that we know, right? The Apostle Paul. He penned half the New Testament while he was sitting in prison, awaiting his own execution. But yet he would never give up hope. Philippians 1.21 is one of the most life-changing verses I ever came across in the Bible. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What are you going to do, kill me? <clears throat> it's a win-win. Can we live with that kind of hope in the face of death? I read that kind of stuff, and I just feel, I'm like, I am such a loser. <laughs> I mean, money gets tight. I have a little bit of conflict with, with someone. I, I, I get down on myself. I, I buy this and I that, and it's sort of like, oh, woe is me. I need hope. The Apostle Paul, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Jesus, in Holy Spirit-inspired hope that I can truly say, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Death has no power over me. That is a statement of hope. But yet it's so easy to live in defeat. It's so easy to live in fear. Hope refines the way that we live. You see, Simeon was an old man. He was old man enough to say, okay, I've, I've met Jesus, the Messiah. Now I can die. Take me. Right? That is unreal to see that kind of faith. He could have given up, but he knew his hope was in God, and he grew from it. That tension that we experience reveals what we're tempted to turn to and rely on instead of Jesus. But the cool thing is, is that we can change. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that hope grounds us. Hope grounds us. And that's in verses uh, 20, the second part of 25 and 26. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he would reveal to him that he would not die until he had seen, seen the Lord's Messiah, right? Like, he had the Spirit of God in his life, and he put his hope in that. It reassured him that his hope was not in vain. And it kind of goes back to like the, the cord that binds us together, right? His hope was something that solidified and focused and ground, like it, it ground his life. It gave substance to his life. Hebrews 10 paints a powerful picture of how hope uh, grounds us. In verse 23, it says this, Let us hold tightly, again, hold tightly, that hope holds tightly without wavering, to the hope we affirm. I love that imagery. I mean, here is, here is some of the, the, the first, second generation of the Jesus movement, Jesus followers, and, Paul, and, and the writer, sorry, the writer of Hebrews is, is encouraging, have hope and, and hold tightly to that. 
Don't waver all over the place, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think, and I love it because it's not just this individual thing. I have to, I have to, I have to. He actually then takes it further into the broader community, the family of Jesus. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. He's, he's imploring the, follower of Jesus, the, the followers of Jesus, like, don't be a lone ranger. Don't go at it yourself, because when someone is weak, someone else is going to be strong. Right? We can, we can walk alongside each other. A lot of times what happens is when we go through the struggles of life, what do we do? We isolate. We isolate. We run away. And that's the, Satan's oldest ploy. He is a wolf that hunts, and he's going to try to pick us off one by one. He knows he's powerless against the pack, against the herd, right? So what's he going to do? He's going to try to peel us off one by one by one, and then when we're alone is when we're the most vulnerable. But together, we're constantly reflecting each other back to Christ. We're, we're, we're loving each other. We're encouraging each other. We are even challenging each other as iron sharpens iron. So one sharpens another. Now, I used to always say, you know, sort of like, you know, you'd always, I'd see this kind of misused of like swords, like we're going to sword fight and bam, we're sharpening each other. No, if you've ever watched Forged in Fire, one of the greatest shows in the history of television, uh, you know, you're just going to chip each other. You're going to hurt each other, right? And so I'd always say, I, I've worked a lot with metal and it, it's always sort of like as the angle is right. Right? Like, you have to make sure that the angle is right. If you take, if you take a knife and go like that, you're just going to dull it. But if you get the angle right, we have to be able to come alongside each other and, and communicate in a way that sometimes is going to be hard to hear, but, but wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses, Proverbs 27, 6. Right? Like, we have to be able to come to each other. We have to be bold enough to speak that truth into each other's lives. We also have to be vulnerable enough, vulnerable enough to listen, to know that the other person loves us. Now, here's what I've been challenged in the last couple months. That is very true. But, you know, there's also called forging in the, the edge. And what that means is it's not just grinding, you pound it. It's not this, but it literally is taking the, the iron and it is hitting it into shape. So yes, there is some, some aggression that can be in there. And sometimes I've had to have you know, brothers or sisters and Jesus come alongside and say, Jason, you are way off. You are way wrong right now. You are not in the right. You might be right, but you're not in the right. And I need to hear that, and that hurts. And sometimes people have to, like, I've tried grinding, but you're not listening, so I'm going to have to bring in the forging the edge here part. But that hope that we have in the Spirit of God that dwells inside of his believers gives us the courage to be able to walk alongside each other, to say what we need to say, to hear what we need to hear. We need to spend time individually, but also as a community, digging into God's word, speaking with him, listening to him, seeking counsel from each other, and being willing to give counsel to each other. You don't have to have the Bible memorized backwards and forwards to be able to share God's truth to each other. 
You just have to have a, you just have to have a heart that's seeking Jesus and, and say, hey, I might be wrong on this, but right now you're kind of da-da-da, you know? We have to be able to live that out as a community. Give and take, ebb and flow, right? We need to speak the grace and truth of Jesus into each other's lives through thick and thin. We need to be able to point each other to Jesus, our true hope. And then last, hope empowers us. In the rest of this, in, in verses 27 through 35, we, we see that after years of, of hoping and tensely anticipating, he finally gets the call. And I, I love this because he gets to go be one of the first and primary witnesses of this miracle baby Jesus, and, and it doesn't stop there. He literally takes baby Jesus and he holds him. I mean, can you imagine being one of the few people that were able to hold God become man in your own arms? <laughs> like, that is insane. Like, if that was me, I'd be like, I'm not worthy. I can't do that. I can't do that. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was surrounded, or he, he was centered on the hope that he had. And when, when, when God said, pick him up, he picked him up. When he said, sing a song, he sang a song. And I love it because he gives one of the first songs on the original Christmas album, right? And I love it, 29 through 32, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. Verse 32, he is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. He goes on to say some hard things after that. He says it's not just for one nation, one race, one people group. It's for all nations. That's been the point all along. And he says some people are going to reject him. Some people are going to hate him. And it's going to hurt. It's not going to be this, this amazing, perfect existence. He even says, you know, the sword will, will pierce your very soul. But it doesn't mean that there's not hope in the midst of that because what's going on is bigger than Simeon. It's bigger than Mary. It's bigger than you and me. We're all a part of this amazing story where God comes into his own creation to save it, to redeem it, to set it free now and forever. I like how Simeon was both um, hopeful and realistic. It's, I don't think the world needs to see a bunch of perfect, squeaky clean people coming out of churches. I just don't think that that's going to connect. I think what's going to connect is real people with real struggles, with real fears, with real addictions, with real shortcomings, with, with real stuff going on in their lives. But seeing the power of the gospel at work every day, a little bit better. Every day, a little more free. Every day, a little more joyful. Every day, a little bit different, right? Well, I say he loves us just the way that we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. A challenging quote, I was I actually on, on the road, I, I listened to um, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson, and, and he had this quote in there that says, being joyful is not a prerequisite for, dis- for being a disciple. It's a fruit of it. 
We don't have to like, well, I can't follow Jesus because I'm not joyful enough. No, he says, use the struggle as the doorway to growth. Saying, if I'm struggling, if, if I just came off of Thanksgiving break and I'm more angsty and tired and worn out and frustrated and angry than, than before Thanksgiving break, I need to sit there and look in the mirror and ask, why? Why? Why am I less joyful? Why am I struggling? And let that be the opportunity where, where God speaks into us and reveals the things that we're maybe putting our hope on instead of him. We need to be hopeful and realistic. We need to be genuine. We need to be vulnerable because the world is dying for that. Not just some glittering image that we think we want to be. We need to allow the, the cracks in our lives to, to let the light of Jesus to shine through. So here's the big idea of this passage. Jesus' glory gives us hope. 1 Peter 1.3, I love it because it actually says that we have been given a living hope. This isn't just a hope that, oh, I got I to gotta muster this up and I got to, you know, no, it's actually a living hope. It's a living, breathing hope. Why? Because it is the person of Jesus. So here's a couple questions to leave, with, leave us with today. One, what kind of stretching experiences have we been in or are we in right now? What are some things maybe in our lives um, and again, you can fill in the blank, whatever, whatever God brings to your, to your mind, to your heart right now. But what are some of those stretching experiences that we're in right now that instead of being a stumbling block can become a doorway, can be a, a, an experience that can help us to see what's really going on and point us to real hope, to reveal what we actually need to put our hope in. How can we be like Simeon and allow God to teach us trust and obedience along the journey? A lot of times we, we kind of have a double standard because it's sort of like, I'll get there, I'll get there, I'll get there. But then when we look to God, it's sort of like, no, it needs to be fixed right now, right? Like we need to allow him to teach us trust and hope and obedience along the way. Another question is, is are we taking advantage of the opportunities that we have to become vulnerable? To, to share the needs in our lives, the brokenness, the doubt, the, the, the struggle that we have, and to find encouragement and challenge from each other. Can we, as a church family, be like this? A group of people that, instead of going our own individual ways, are bound together by our hope. Hope will bind us together. What happens is that we start to put our hope in other things, and we start to, to tear each other down instead of build each other up and, and center our hope around the person of Jesus and the gospel that he brings. How do we resist, how do we avoid those opportunities instead of running to them? And then the last question is this, is our hope in Jesus more powerful than our fears? Is our hope more powerful than the fears that we might be facing right now? That's kind of the, the rubber hitting the road moment right there. Because we can know it up here, but when we actually are, are, have to live that out, do we, in the face of our fears, of our anger, of our addiction, of our entitlement, of our, our own insistence, are we going to say, no, 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 I'm going to be obedient. I am going to put my hope and my faith 
in him and him alone? And are we allowing those things to motivate and empower us, to bind us together, to put our hope into him? So moving from belief to action, from knowing to doing. Um, during this last song, I'm actually going to, please don't shoot these at me. I'm, I'm sensitive. I'll be, my feelings will be very hurt. But I encourage you to just take a rubber band and put it somewhere that you're going to remember, maybe on your wrist or on your keychain or your mirror or whatever. But I, I, I want this to be an encouragement and a tangible reminder to us this week of hope. What are we putting our hope in? What are we looking to to bind us together? Are we being faithful? Are we being obedient? Are we finding that joy, that, that, that peace, all the other things that we're going to be looking at in the Advent season, are we finding that in the glory of Jesus? So my prayer is, is that this can be a reminder that the hope that we find in Jesus is better than any other hope that the world might promise. The world will always let us down. Bad news. But the good news is that Jesus won't. Even if we find ourselves in the depths of pain, of loss, of sorrow, of any of that, we know that Jesus is still faithful. Can we find the joy and hope in that? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you that, um, God, you call us to surrender to you. God, I, I'm, I'm sure that, that Simeon, being uh, later in years, probably was tempted along the way to just give up, to give in, maybe turn to legalism, maybe just walk away from you altogether. But God, he heard your prompting in his heart, in his mind. God, he saw the truth in your word. He saw the promises that the Messiah would come. And God, even though it looked like he wouldn't see the fulfillment of that, he never gave up hope. God, I pray that we can have that same kind of faith. That when we are tempted to give up, to, to give in, to turn away, God, that we would turn to you. Spirit, just work in our hearts, work in our minds. When we see ourselves, maybe we may not even realize how we're doing it. But God, I pray that this week in our lives, that we would be able to turn to you in our hope. God, I also pray that, that we could be vulnerable with each other. That we can know each other well enough to know where we're struggling. Some of us have maybe been carrying things for so long that we're afraid that if people find out what we're struggling with or what we're thinking or the fears that we have or, or, or the doubt or the, the pain that we carry with us, that they would run the other way. God, help us to be people of peace. Help us to, to be grace, to be truth. God, not this, this superficial grace, but grace with teeth. God, grace that, that is transformative. God, we can't separate grace and truth. The two are, are linked in a way that can't be taken apart. One without the other isn't really true. So God, I pray that, that we would be able to listen to you, that we can be vulnerable with each other, that we can 
whether it be at connect groups or the men's or the women's group or just relationships that we have outside of our gatherings. God, I pray that we can be real and vulnerable with each other. God, thank you for being worthy of our hope. Your glory, the light of your glory reminds us that you are worthy of that. So God, help us this week to remember these things, to live them out, and to share them with as many as possible. Praisings your name. Amen.